This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. It's Tuesday, December 22nd. I'm Erica Pandy, filling in for Nyla Voodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. The post-pandemic job market. Plus, how to have tough conversations this holiday. First, though, Tesla's wild ride is today's one big thing. Tesla's stock going up almost 700% was not on my 2020 bingo card. That jump is huge, considering the average stock market return is around 10% per year. This week, Tesla started trading as part of the famous S&P 500. It's a basket of some of the biggest publicly traded companies in America— Think Apple, Walmart, or Johnson & Johnson. And because many Americans invest in funds that track the S&P, a whole lot more people now own a piece of Tesla, for better or for worse. Asia Moore is Axios' managing editor for business. Good morning, Asia. Hi, Erica. So how did Tesla's stock get from point A to point B? I think that's a good question and one that people ask themselves a lot. It started out as something that was a little more controversial. People didn't know what to make of it, especially in context of how to look at that company alongside traditional automakers. And I think that fans of the company really believe that the electric vehicle market is the future, and they believe in that investment. And and this is a year, as you and your team have covered, where so many people are tightening their wallets. Why is this the year that Tesla exploded? I think that for people who are just making kind of one-off decisions on what stock to buy, they want to look at things that they really are excited about and can differentiate in their own portfolios. So I think that Tesla is one of those stocks where you look at a company and say, hey, what are they making that I recognize that I want to buy myself? And in the auto market, where a lot of things look the same, Tesla looks very different. So how influential is Tesla now? Can we count it among Amazon and Facebook and Google? I think the answer to that depends on who you ask. The people who are really bullish on the name say yes, and that those are the companies that we should be comparing Tesla to. And definitely the naysayers disagree with that strongly and say that this is an auto company that doesn't hold the same weight as the traditional automakers who have revenue and sales figures that far outpace Tesla's at the moment. So the question of their influence, whether it grows, really will just come along with their success. Can they continue to prove that they can sell cars, that they can be profitable, and that they can innovate in this industry that right now is pretty nascent? All right, Asia. So some people invest in just Tesla, But now that the stock is in the S&P, a lot of us are going to wind up owning some Tesla in our brokerage accounts and 401ks. Is that going to give us more risk? Yeah, I don't think I can answer really about the risk profile of retirement portfolios. But if you look at the track record and the history of the company, it's had volatility and it's had swings. And 
It's a very emotional story for the people who invest in it. And you also have kind of a charismatic leader who says things off the cuff, who loves to go onto Twitter and make, you know, really bold statements. And that kind of volatility is something that people are going to have to learn to live with when before there was a choice about whether you wanted to invest in Tesla. Now it's less of a choice for people who broadly want to invest alongside the S&P 500. Asia Moore leads business coverage at Axios. We'll be back in 15 seconds with the year that fundamentally changed America's workforce. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome back to Axios Today. I spent the last year covering how the pandemic has completely upended the way we work and the job market. But things are changing at such a breakneck speed that it's sometimes hard for me to figure out what matters. Whenever I need to make sense of it all, I end up emailing Nick Bloom, who's an economist at Stanford University, to get the big picture. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Erica. So the first thing I'm curious about, what is your biggest takeaway from these last nine months when it comes to work and the workplace? The biggest takeaway for me is just how amazingly well working from home works, how broadly it's been taken up and how it's just, I think much of it's going to stick until, you know, 10, 20 years from now, we'll be looking at the pandemic for all the horrible things that have happened. One upside will be a huge new era of working from home. So there's a lot of jobs we've lost throughout this. Some of those won't come back. What are the sectors you think are going to be hurting the most that you'll see the most permanent job loss? Well, what's very clear is the pandemic is going to have what's called a permanent reallocation. So You've got to think back to things like the uh, first oil shock or even back to World War II when we've seen such massive structural shifts across the economy. So sectors like entertainment, movies, a lot of travel, some luxury is just going to be permanently down. Uh, of course, others like home delivery, takeout food, cleaning that are going to be permanently kicked up by this and a lot of online activity. How does that work in terms of job loss in one sector, job creation in another? Is it as simple as it sounds that if you just lose your job in entertainment, you get a new one uh, at home delivery? Yes and no. So at the low skilled end, most of these jobs pay very low rates, are hovering around minimum wage. So if you lose your job, you know, at the front desk in a gym and pick it up as a delivery driver, they're different conditions, but your long run career and pay are not radically different. So it seems to be the lower end of the labor market, you know, the conditions are worse, but it's actually much easier. We've seen most of the job gain actually due to the pandemic at the lower end. At the upper end, they've seen much less job loss. But if you had a great graduate job in a sector that, let's say, gyms, entertainment or movies, they got hit and you lost that job in May. It's been pretty grim for you since then. Nick Bloom is an economist at Stanford University. Thanks, Nick. Thanks very much, Erica. We all know the holidays can bring up raw emotions and spark sticky dinner table conversations. After this year, with an increasingly politically divided nation and the stressors of a deadly pandemic, that dynamic has been turned way up. But there's a science to responding to these tough conversations with your loved ones in an effective way. 
Allison Snyder writes the Axios Science Newsletter. So you've been talking to communication scientists about how to have hard conversations, and I want to start by asking you about the listening side of things. How can we be better listeners in situations like these? So there's a couple of things that people who study interpersonal communication told me. The very first one is that you need to be in the right sort of environment and headspace as a listener. You need to make sure that you have the capacity to listen, the environment is appropriate. The first part of the conversation should involve a lot of questions and trying not to interpret someone's experience. The sort of second phase of the conversation which this researcher, Janice Solomon at Penn State University laid out for me, is to try to help them reappraise their situation. So she gave me this example of, for an exhausted healthcare worker, it might be saying something like, I'm glad you can talk to the families because you can do so with compassion. So it's not about giving someone the silver lining, but about helping them just see this in a slightly reappraised way. And then the last phase is one where you can most effectively sort of offer advice or talk about your own experience. And Allison, what are some misconceptions we might have as listeners of Tough Conversations? As listeners, we are really trying to be helpful. We have the best of intentions, but we sometimes jump in too soon with our own experiences or we try to resolve this and try to get someone to feel better. But that doesn't necessarily work. Allison Snyder leads science coverage at Axios. And that's all we've got for you today. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com or reach out to me on Twitter. My handle is Erica underscore Pandy. If you want more news before tomorrow, tune into our afternoon podcast, Axios Recap. Thanks for listening. Have the best day. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning.